7.05. Oh, another busy week. So much to talk about. Ira on sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we are here as well. Sean's already excited for the show. I know Ira is, but... Iro, you know, we start every show, every show off with, where have you been? And, uh, you know, talking to you on the phone earlier, you're not in studio, talking to you on the phone earlier, you sound like you're a little bit exhausted. Tell us about what you've been up to. Three days of walking on the U.S. Open, <laughs> and it is the, I'm going to give a guarantee. You want a prediction? Brooks Kepka plays this weekend at the Hartford Open. He has no shot at winning. There is no way he could have walked around that course for four days in tournament conditions and think he's going to play another golf tournament in four more days. It was, it was hard. It was, it was, from a fan perspective, it, the Honda Classic is a walk in the park. Um, from pushing and shoving around fans uh, uh, to New walking every hill to falling down hills. I mean, if I was a personal injury attorney, I would be handing out cards. <laughs> to people. From, I saw so many people with ankles on the ground. It was, you're walking on the sides of hills almost for six or seven holes. It was an extremely difficult tournament to walk around to follow. Uh, I loved it, had a great time, enjoyed it tremendously, but it was a challenge, and uh, so I, I'm tired, though. Well, t- tell me more about that. That, Ira, and obviously, you know, I'm from New York. I've never been to Shinnecock before, though. What was so, di- you know, the Honda Classic, like you said, we're kind of spoiled here in South Florida with having such a great tournament with just uh, ease of access and amenities. Tell us a little bit about that from the fan uh, point of view at Shinnecock. Well, huge. I went to Oakmont also in Pittsburgh, and it's the same thing. This is one of the oldest golf courses in America. They were like the oldest clubhouse in America, one of the oldest golf courses. The third U.S. Open was played here. Um, but the problem is, is that it's not designed, like, where it's, Honda's figured its way out, where they put the stands and where people, you can actually walk, watch a golfer hit and then go to the next hole. And there's some situations where it might get congested. But in this course, they're hitting over fairways. So say you're on, like, the fifth, or the fifth hole, and the fifth hole then hits over. It's hitting over two fairways. Well, you can't just... Well, they let the golfers walk across, but they don't, don't let the fans walk wow, across. That's crazy. So then you then have to play catch-up in order to catch up to wherever all the golfers are. And then you're behind. It's just almost like you're playing catch-up the whole time. And unlike in the Honda, and certainly the players, where the, where the greens are sunk, where the tee boxes, you can set, stand around them, where people can go around greens, these greens are mostly on pedestals. So it's very hard to see from anywhere where the greens are. See, on top of the green, there's very few stands around the, the greens by themselves. That's why you looked on TV, it looked like nobody was there, because there was nobody around the green. <laughs> it was hard to get around the greens. And then the tee boxes were on this like little pedestal, where unless you were like two or three deep, there was no way you would have seen how they can hit the ball anywhere. It was a very, I love falling golfers. I enjoy it. I got great pictures. I love doing it, but it was, it was very, very, if I didn't have my step stool, I could never get these pictures, but it was, a, it was a great, it was just a lot of fun, but it was a very hard tournament. And also there's sand you're walking through, there's points of sand and then the rough is as thick as everyone said it was. The, the rough was, so you had to sometimes walk through this rough and it's up yeah. to your waist. There was, uh, there was points <laughs> where I, it was the, the, the rough was uh, to my waist. I mean, at the end of the day, my legs were just filthy. I mean, from dirt, from sand, my shoes destroyed everything. You're so. a tall guy, too. I, I, I'm a little shorter than you. I, they'd be up to my nose. <laughs> so, <laughs> note to self, don't walk the U.S. Open um, at Shinnecock. It's Iron Sports 95.9, True Oldies Channel. So much to cover in the U.S. Open. But, you know, let's go back and just uh, c- congratulate Brooks Kepka, uh, First person to repeat as the U.S. Open champion since 1989. You probably heard Brooks Kepka's name. He's from Wellington. Went to Cardinal. Newman, uh, went to Florida State after that. Absolutely amazing golfer. Uh, Ira, congrats to Brooks Koepka. It's nice that we're bringing these back to South Florida. Wow. I mean, the final day, you have Daniel Berger in the first group, Brooks Koepka in the second group. You have McElroy, you have Fowler, you have, I mean, West Palm Beach is the center of the golf universe right now. And certainly, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, they, and they, these guys get along. They're, they're, they, they, they have, you know, they're all friends. And uh, it was, it's, uh, again, great for West Palm Beach. And I'm, I think you're going to see more and more young golfers. You see the golf programs for, for children and for young adults, and it's growing in West Palm. And I, I don't be surprised that in the future you're going to see the same situation uh, with more top golfers come from West Palm. You know, it's interesting you talked about them all being friends. Brooks Kepka kind of came out today and said the contrary. Um, not in a malicious way at all. And, of course, I don't want to start rumors here on Iron Sports, but he said that... You know, the only people to congratulate him via text, call, anything was Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. I feel like the young class of golfers 
maybe he's you know a year younger than them, but I feel like he's been excluded from the fun golfers. And we're going to talk more in just a moment about the Speeths and the McElroys, where they might be on the downslide, and Brooks Kepka is skyrocketing as far as the uh, stock on his performance goes. 710, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Uh, you know, Ira... Obviously, we're in a group text, uh, me, you, and Sean. You sent a picture to us on Saturday about the way you got to the U.S. Open. Tell me about it. Oh, well, on, first of all, people understand, there is, we talk about parking at the Honda Classic. There is no parking on Shinnecock. You can't even park down the road and walk. That They'll arrest you for walking on the road. So there's the Long Island Railroad let people off, and then they had a special platform that you had to go walk across Route 27, which is the main road in front of Shinnecock. And that's, that's, the, way. Most, that's the, the way people went there. But um, there was no parking. I was lucky. I cut through a back area, and a guy had his driveway out. And I gave him $20 to park back there, and I was very lucky. He said, we've been trying to do this, and it's the first year we've actually been able to get entrance. So every road was blocked off. But on Saturday, I had a friend who had a boat who took me by boat because it's right on the water. So you can actually dock the boat and then just walk into the U.S. Open. So that was pretty cool to actually boat there and, uh, and walk up. And then, I, and then I took an Uber back because my, my friends left early. They didn't have the stamina to hang out the open all day. <laughs> Very good call uh, on your part, though. The boat looked awesome. And yeah, you know, it's one of the things with these big events, getting in and out of them always... It, literally the thing that makes me you know hesitant to go and of course Ira's rolling up in style to Shinnecock in the U.S. Open um speaking about rolling in in style maybe not rolling out Dustin Johnson I think everybody in the world after Friday thought wow this is guy's the best golfer on the planet clearly and he's going to steamroll the competition he didn't do so good on the weekend Ira what happened on Saturday, you know, he started with a four-shot lead, and everyone was saying, oh, he was paired with Tiger in the first two rounds, and he destroyed Tiger, so there's a new, you know, new number one, and so Justin Johnson made, you know, everyone had trouble on the course about Justin Johnson, he's better than everyone else, he's, at, he's where Tiger was t- uh, 10 years, like 15 years ago, and uh, you know, he came back to earth on Saturday, and he immediately on that round on Saturday, and I followed him around, was, uh, was, was just a struggle the entire day, and he struggled, but he, you know, he ended up not hitting driver his last nine holes. He just gave up on the driver yeah. because it was very hard to control. But uh, the, final, the final hole he bogeyed on Saturday, and that put him out of the first group. So he, had, he shot with a four-stroke lead. He, has, he ends up shooting a 77. It was amazing that someone's tied to the lead, shooting a 77 yeah. on a Saturday. But he uh, bogeyed the last hole, and because the rules, the first in, the last out, uh, that means he wasn't in the final group which didn't really matter that much because Berger and Finau were so far behind, but that's why we was uh, paired with Kepka. They were all at plus three for the day. It, it was, it, you know, Sean and I were here. You know, we didn't get to go to Shinnecock and, uh, you know, thank our knees for that. We were at two Georges in Boynton Beach, and, you know, there's a lot going on. There's multiple uh, sporting events on multiple TVs. We look up and see that Dustin Johnson's at, like, a plus two or a plus, plus three, one. A plus, plus one. one at the time. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this has to be today. This has to be just, like, this round score. There's no way he's blown five strokes already. Next thing you know, Sean, seven strokes he, he gave back that day, and we got to see it. We're like, what happened? Yeah, no, and, and, and I think that goes back to what I was kind of talking about all weekend and what the players have now come out and said, and even the, the PGA, uh, you know, uh, the president of uh, Shinnecock came out and, and apologized, you know, basically saying, you know, this course was just too hard. They they let the course kind of, you know, take control of this tournament, um, and, and, and I feel like that's what we saw on Saturday. I mean, for a guy that was as locked in, over the course of six rounds that Dustin Johnson yeah. was, and to give up seven shots, shoot a 77. I mean, I think that the day before he shot a 67. You're telling me that this guy is going to have a 10-stroke 10, 10 swing? I mean, we, we talked about a Ricky, too. I mean, there was 19 one point. 19-stroke swing, swing in one day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. I mean, it's kind of why... You know, and I don't, I don't know if the ratings have come out yet, but it got to the point with the weekend. It was like, all right, enough's enough. I mean, this course is just so hard. All the players that we want to see, you know, the Ricky Fowles of the world. Uh, I mean, I mean, not Ricky, uh, Rory, Spieth. You know, a lot of these big name guys not making the cut because I think the course just kind of took over, and we definitely saw that on Saturday. And 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 that's what the drop was. So, is it me saying, you know, is it a choke job by Dustin Johnson? No, not at all. I just, I just think that the course was just playing way too fast, way too hard. 
third, uh, and, and and the course got away from everybody. And Brooks Kepka deserved the win. I mean, he played consistently yeah. solid throughout the entire tournament. All it takes is one bad day, and we saw. I mean, Ricky Fowler was tied for ninth going into Saturday, and then. You know, posted up a plus fourteen. Sixty nine to an eighty four. Yeah, sixty nine to an eight. Plus posted a plus twelve uh, on Saturday. It's just ridiculous. Ira, though, you know, we're talking about Dustin Johnson. Maybe you impacted his play just a little bit. Do you want to tell us the story? Well, on seventeen on Saturday, and this is what was interesting about this tournament. Um, at the Honda, like on Saturday, that's a busy day. I mean, the, the, it's packed. At the yeah. end of the day, uh, 17 is filled with 20,000 people. By the end of the day on 17, Johnson is finishing up with the leaders, and there's nobody there. The course was almost empty. And, again, he was putting on, on uh, 17. He was, uh, he was uh, driving. He was, he was putting on 17, and I wanted to get to the 18 uh, tee. And so I had to sort of walk around with binoculars. I had to go over two fairways. So I was just watching him with my binoculars while he's putting, and then I was going to hustle up to 18 to get a good picture of the tee, of him teeing off. The next thing I know, I hear he just stops, looks up, and starts pointing my direction. Now, I am literally, I say, two fairways, two everything across. I'm 150 yards away. I couldn't even hardly, without my binoculars, I couldn't see just, I couldn't see anybody. And he's pointing at me. I, I don't know, I think he was pointing at me. And then the caddies came over, they're like, st- and they said, don't move. Like they were afraid I was going to move. But I wasn't moving at all. I was just standing there. But I was the only person in that entire area. And I'm thinking, how focused is he that he's looking at 150 yards away and seeing somebody when there's people on the course all over the place walking and moving. And I think that was an example of him not having, I think, that focus on Saturday. Uh, that really needed. I, mean, I just I, he would not have seen someone 150 yards away like that. But that was I thought funny. You know what though? You did have some interactions with uh, Paulina Wayne Gretzky's daughter, who is uh, with uh, Dustin, and she turned out a little sweeter than you thought. Oh, she was amazing. Paulina Gretzky walked a number of the holes. And people kept coming up to her asking for her picture with them. And she, I never saw her turn down one person. I talked to her a little bit. She was nice. I said, she was this bother you? She goes, no, I love it. They're fans. I'm glad they support my uh, husband. You know, they were all into it. They, they uh, definitely, you know, she was, she was great. She was absolutely uh, uh, just super with the fans. I, I was blown away by how many pictures she took. She would always stop. And, you know, people were getting their cameras out and taking the pictures. And it's sort of uncomfortable. You know, she's not in the skybox. She's not surrounded by security. She's just walking around. People were shouting her names all over the place. And she was just gracious and smiling and everything. And then I met Wayne Gretzky, too. He was there, and he was really? very nice, too. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was pretty. I mean, they certainly are the royalty of golf, uh, the number one golfer in the world, Paulina, and then the number one uh, hockey player of all time. So that's pretty exciting. My buddy Ricky Fowler just got engaged last weekend. Maybe he'll be the new uh, royalty coming up. We'll find out about that. Uh, 718, Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we're here, too. Um, Ira, tell us about the final round. Um, I had a good feeling that Brooks Kepa was going to be able to do this. I don't know why, and I don't think anyone saw Tommy Fleetwood coming with the, you know, the, the best round all weekend. So what would you take in on Sunday? Sunday was exciting when you're on the course. I had one of those radios, the American Express radios that they had in my ear, and so I could hear them talking all the so because you otherwise you wouldn't know because just, I'm just following Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and you can't follow it but know what was going on. But when Fleetwood on the sixth hole, Fleetwood is finished and he posted a plus two, so that everybody sort of knew what the number was too. And at that time, Kepka went he he was lucky. He was not lucky. He, had, he the smart thing was he got off to three early birdies fast out of the first five holes. He had three birdies to take it to even par. And he just stayed at even and plus one the rest of the day. And so he stayed under Fleetwood. He was never tied with Fleetwood. And there was a couple of times it was close. But that was what I think was key. And then you heard, oh, Patrick Reed is making a run. But he, then he fell back. And Dustin Johnson was at a point, I'll tell you, there's two main holes of the tournament on 11. Johnson was in a position to at least par it, but also was putting for birdie. And it was a par three, and Brooks hit the ball over the green, had an impossible shot, put it back on the other side, and he got it up and down for a bogey. That was the most, everyone saying, mm-hmm. you know, I could see it, it was like, he's going to have a double bogey. He'll be lucky to get a double bogey. But for him to get a bogey, he only dropped one shot from even to one. But then Dustin Johnson missed a three-foot putt, and he went from two to three. So instead of Johnson could have taken the lead on 11, he then fell back, and then Brooks did that. And then 
then the other key hole was on 14. Brooks hit the, his drive into the rough. Now, this is only four more holes, you know, we're done with the tournament. And that, where he hit it, they announced that we can't find the ball. I mean, it was, there was a thousand people around where the ball was. It was so deep into the ground, no one could see the ball. And I'm standing right next to him, and I couldn't see the ball. He went and hit that ball out there and parred that hole. It was probably the best part I've ever seen. There was no way he could advance that ball. I mean, anybody else would advance the ball maybe two feet, an inch. I mean, he hits the ball 100, 100 some yards and right on, right on the green. It was an absolute amazing shot, or it was a two approach to get to the green. And then he had a 10-foot putt for par. But I think that par save on 14 and 11 won it. Then he birdied on 16, which gave him that two-shot lead yeah. going to the final, and that, was, that allowed him. Now, on 18, he hit the grandstand on his shot, but he had such a lead that it was okay. He just needed to bogey any, uh, coming in. But I think that 11 and 14 were the two main holes when he was in the rough, and he, you know, that rough that everybody talked about, and he's sitting there in the deepest rough, and people said, we were lucky to even find the ball. It took him, I think, three, four minutes before they found the ball, and it was, everyone was around it. And, uh, and then he hit it out. So, and he had also, Brooks has missed time with wrist problems, so he definitely has to, you know, he's in tremendous shape. When you're standing there and you see people talk about golfers being out of shape, when you look at Dustin Johnson, when you look at Brooks Kepka, you would never say that either one of those are two, you know, they are, they could play almost any sport. That's how great a shape both of them are in. It, it was, you, you nailed it on the head because there was a lot of articles today, people saying these are the two probably most physically imposing golfers on the tour. Brooks is a beast. I was looking at it, I was like, this guy plays golf. I mean, he looks he looks like a tight end. I mean, he's huge. I couldn't believe the size of him. And he's only, I think, twenty three. Yeah, he's a young guy. Yeah, he's not even he's not even an old kid. Only been on the tour, I believe, three years. He got an exception. You know, the Honda Classic can invite two people a year um, that aren't on the tour or you know, like didn't qualify, and they invited him. I remember, I think it was three years ago, and I was yeah. like, oh, maybe yeah. this name might be someone. Because we were remember. rooting for him because he's yeah. a local guy. Yeah, yeah, the kid from Wellington, and uh, he is your U.S. Open champion. Ira- back to back. Ira, what do you think, and you know, Sean brought up a good point, and so did you, that this was not a fair golf tournament for a large amount of these golfers, but Tiger just never seemed to get it together, I. You know what, he didn't, but I think he's, it's helped the fact that I followed the first day on Friday, I got there. It's weird, usually Tiger, I couldn't get to the tournament until Friday afternoon, so normally what they do is they start Tiger in the morning on Thursday and at the end on yeah. Friday so that they get him for the TV audience as everyone watching, but this was different. He started at the afternoon on Thursday and the morning on Friday, so I missed Tiger for the whole tournament, but I did follow uh, Mickelson, Rory, and Spieth, you know, as big a group as you possibly can have. Yeah. And that was to follow them around, but Rory was in a disaster. Uh, speed. I mean, it was both of, you know, they were, Rory was actually good on the day that I followed on Friday after shooting at 80 on, uh, on Thursday. But Spieth had four birdies in a row, and it looked like he was going to make the cut line of eight, and then on the last two holes, he bogeyed and missed the cut. <laughs> so he misses the cut, Rory misses the cut, and Phil gets in at a plus six. But so I, I don't want to say, you know, this is an indictment of Tiger, because Sergio Garcia, John Rahm, uh, Bubba Watson, uh, R- Rory, Jordan Speed, none of these guys made the cut. So you can't just say Tiger had just this awful, he's never going to come back, when everybody struggled out there. I mean, all the top, most of the top golfers didn't even make the cut. Yeah. No, it, it was, and like Sean said, nobody cared on Sunday, knowing that, you know, the, the 18 of the top 20 golfers in the world didn't make the cut here. It, it kind of took the fun out of it, uh, just for me a little bit. I'm always in it for Ricky Fowler, though. My favorite golfer, Jupiter resident. Uh, me and my, you know, we get our haircut by the same guy, which is kind of special to me. Um, <laughs> Ira, Ricky can't close out the big ones. Uh, this guy, you know, he finished... First person ever to finish top five in all four majors last year. Obviously, didn't win one. Now we see him again in contention on Saturday, and... This meltdown was arguably the worst of anybody in the entire tournament. You know, I was listening to a sports talk radio show, and they, uh, one of the guys on the show was saying, I could hit a 90 on the golf course. And he was saying that, not I, I think that the guy, the commentator said that. And I'm thinking, I don't think so. Well, Ricky <laughs> Fowler shot an 84. I mean, <laughs> so if this commentator thought, who's just a, he was a football player, thought that he could hit a 90 on this course, but the fact that Ricky hit an 84 on a Saturday is just amazing. Then he comes back with a 65. But I'll tell you one thing, I'll give this Ricky Fowler credit. He is the nicest person. He is great with fans. He's so popular on the course. Um, he is a really has a great demeanor. He, even when he's playing horrendously, he's still just affable, appreciating. I mean, there's other golfers out there you can tell when they're not playing well. Like they're yelling at the fans, screaming at the fans. Oh, yeah. He is he is one of the best ambassadors any sport could ever have. He's tremendous. You nailed it on the head with ambassador. He's the best possible thing for golf, in my opinion, since Tiger 20 years ago when when he just brought golf back to what it was. 
But you like to see him. Win. I mean, you like to see him win. I mean, it is interesting what Brooks did. I think it's sort of underrated. The fact that Tiger, when I say that he did something that Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus did not do, either none of them did. They both didn't do it to win back-to-back U.S. Opens. I mean, he's only won yeah. three titles in his life, but he's been two, <laughs> two of them have been U.S. Opens, and he finished two three years ago in fourth place. So he is a fourth and two first in, in five U.S. Opens, which is just amazing. I mean, it, but he has. I mean, he has definitely. They said about Brooks, he has a very a relaxed demeanor. Uh, he doesn't let the fact that the course is crazy, mm-hmm. the balls are rolling off, the wind is rough, all that doesn't bother him. And I think that, that you've got to have that demeanor on this course. You've got to say, so what? You know, it's, it's, you know you, and you've got to battle through and be okay to hit a bogey, to be okay. I mean, they, I think where I think these other golfers got in trouble that first day is that they, they, weren't, they wouldn't take the bogeys. They wouldn't take that bogey. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah. And that's why they got the. That's why Tiger on the first hole on the first day had a triple bogey. On the second day, he had a double bogey. I mean, if you look at Tiger's rounds, it was a few holes that did him in. And I think that's what Brooks did. Brooks, whenever there was a damage, whenever there was a bad shot, he played the safer shot to just to get the par and bogey. He wasn't trying to gain two shots on one uh, on one stroke. Yeah, and I think the thing that makes this so impressive too, right? It's. It's it's always a different course, and it's always the hardest course that these guys are going to play all year. So outside of getting the green jacket at the Masters, this is like every, especially you know uh, American born player. This is the one they want to win. You know, for for Brooks to go out, win it back to back, first time since when, Mike. 89. 89. There you go. So for him to go out, and especially too, I mean, this this will go down as probably one of the hardest courses yeah. in the history of the U.S. Open. I mean, for every all the backlash that the players have come out, like I said, the president of the course coming out and apologizing uh, on on behalf of the uh, um, you know the U.S. Open. Um, I, I just think that it was so special. Ira brings up a good point of the demeanor of this guy. Even in his press conference, I mean, they asked, you know, what is it like to have your dad here? It's Father's Day. It's almost like he forgot it was Father's Day. He's like, well, I haven't bought him a gift in two years. He's like, I won last year too. He's like, so all I can tell you is next year I'm not getting him a gift either. Either, I mean, just the way he goes about it, you could tell that he's a guy that can can stay calm, play the course for what it is, uh, you know, um, you know, take what's there, um, and and play a great four rounds. And he did, it and, and and hats off to Brooks. Oddly enough, Brooks kept his family wasn't there. For, they couldn't find a hotel within yeah. 50 miles of the last U.S. Open. Yeah. They weren't there for his last win, so it must have been even more emotions but I think you you hit it on the head for a young phenom he could have a lot different demeanor and he doesn't. He's just very humble. The, the humility like comes through the TV screen. Watching Brooks Kepra, yeah. happy to have him uh, be a Florida boy here. Seven twenty-seven. It's Iron Sports ninety-five-nine True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. You know why there was a weird scenario, situation, <laughs> play throughout the weekend? Phil Mickelson. I know it was a really stressful week for a lot of people. You want to tell people what Phil did and what you think of it, Ira? Well, it was, I was there. I mean, there was only probably, I would say, 400 people that were actually there to watch it, maybe 300, because that hole is a small hole to watch. And so I'm following Phil on Saturday, and we just were walking, so I was following him down. And he was in the middle of the fairway on 13, seemed like an average shot. He had a weird day that so far, because he was at, started at 6, he bogeyed, birdied the hole, was at 5. You think, well, maybe Phil's going to get in contention. He's been a runner-up six times. This is his chance to become, you know, it's funny, Brooks has now won two out of five starts, and Phil's been a runner-up six times. And he thought this might might have been a chance, but then he had um, five straight bogeys. So he's really struggling. Everything's wrong, but he was in the fairway, and his next shot was um, over the green in the, uh, on the right-hand side, and I hustled up to it. So I, and it wasn't really that hard a shot. There was nothing around it. It was in a dip. It was off the green, but there was no sand. It was a clean, you know, the, the, it wasn't a rough or anything. And he hit, though, that shot, but it took, he took time on that shot, longer than he normally takes. And he was, like, looking around, and it was it just, I noticed that it was weird that he was taking longer with that shot. But then it went over the green, <laughs> and then he went and then putted again, and he went back on the green, and then you could see him on the green. And then I could barely, like, I could see him putted, but as he putted the ball, I saw him run after the putt, and then... All I saw when on my vantage point was him, you know, hitting the ball again. And people were looking. I mean, I'm just barely running the green. I said, did that ball stop? And someone said, yeah, it had to stop. He would have never hit a rolling ball. He was probably afraid that it was going to roll off the green when it yeah. stopped. So that's why he rushed there. Not until I'm going down on 14 did people start saying, he got a two-star. Like the guy that turns the, uh, the thing with the score, with the follows in, the score per- person that walked, didn't have a score for Phil because I think they were deciding whether he got a penalty or not. Mm-hmm. So he had no score, and the boards had no score. So we're 
on the course, and I couldn't tell what was going on with Phil, whether he got it, and they gave him a two-stroke penalty, I saw the replay, for hitting a moving ball. And then that became uh, the huge controversy. Now, on the radio and television, we talked about it. I, saw, I followed Phil then on Sunday, and when he went to 13 and parted, people were screaming, they were loving him, they were, he, was, he gave a fist pump, but he barred it. I think that the media made a big thing about this, and I think out, people outside, certainly people on the course were not, you know, they love Phil, they love him. Yeah. I, I don't, I think it's more, I'm telling you what, it's more media generated than I think real, really what the fans there were thinking. It, it's 2018, and the, the, the age of overreaction and, and outrage is, is all the rage in, in the time we live in now, so. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal. You know, he even came out. He said, he's like, listen, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. You know, I didn't want to, you know, hit it up and down. I know the rules. I knew it was a, tr- a two-stroke penalty. I took my two-stroke uh, penalty, and, and I walked off. He's like, I thought about it my entire career. I finally did it. Let's get over it. Um, but 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 honestly, right, the, when it comes down to in the purest of the game, right, these are, this is where you call penalties on yourself. This is the way golf is. So I can understand where some of it comes from. But I don't feel like the purest of fans really cared that much. I would bring up a good point. It was more the media. But in, in actuality of what he did, this is what it's like, right? Because you try to compare it to other things because golf is so different. It's as if, like... Let's say it's the the NBA Finals and LeBron James is you know one of twenty from the field and Kevin uh, Kevin Durant gets a steal and is running down the court and LeBron James takes his shoe off and throws it at him. I mean, <laughs> like that's what this is. I mean, and truly, it's like because we've never seen this before and it, it is poor sportsmanship because he was having such a bad hole. Um, and you don't expect it from a guy like Phil. Maybe somebody else, but almost in a way, maybe you do expect it from a I guy like do, Phil yeah. because he's like, hey man, I've been here, I've done this you know whatever it's, it's it's a horrible day and it might have been phil's way of kind of you know throwing up the the the, the middle finger to the course because yeah. it was so hard and just saying you know what the course has become the star of this i'm gonna take some shine back and let them know how frustrated i am with the playing conditions on this course so i i haven't he- heard a take like that yet but maybe that's kind of what it was it was a backhanded you know you know screw you um to to the to the usga and just saying you know what don't let us come out here and play play on a course like this ever again um and and and, and i think maybe because this course it was par for this course you know, maybe maybe those actions were par for this course. So um, crazy that it happened. I respected Phil for coming out and apologizing and saying, hey, I didn't want to respect anybody. But it kind of did just dawn on me. Maybe that was his way of saying, screw you guys. You wasted all of our weekends. Still so much to talk about here. Ira on Swartz. World Cup coming up in just a minute. Also, National Basketball Association is about to get a big shakeup. And we're going to talk about that um, just uh, coming up here on Ira on Sports. Before we get to that, though, Ira, we'll start with you on this one. Do you enjoy watching golf under these situations? I mean, you being there, you had to trek through it. Even if you were watching on TV, do you enjoy these situations where it's so difficult? Or would you rather see the lower scores? I trust, truthfully, I don't, I didn't mind it so much. I mean, I think the problem is I don't like the greens where you hit it and it just rolls down all the time. If you miss a putt by an inch, it falls down like it, like it has on some U.S. Opens. I think it was difficult. The wind made it difficult. It's very hard. I mean, they're trying to say they want the, when you want a course to play at par, but then you have wind at 15, 20 miles an hour, yeah. but if it's only five miles an hour, I mean, you're really playing and then people start, you're playing the whole day. They start at nine and end at seven o'clock at night. So it's difficult to, to, uh, you know what? It's, it doesn't. I think the fact that there's tough scoring conditions, everybody's facing those tough scoring conditions. But of course, it matters what time you go in the day. Now we're going to see the British Open, and some days you're out and it's beautiful and sunny, and then in a few hours it's going to be rainy and 50 miles an hour degrees. I mean, I was out three days, and the weather's you know fine, nice, sunny, but it was just that wind and how they cut the greens uh, and where they put the pin placements. So the, the pin placements were definitely a challenge. But they want to make this is they always want to make this tournament hard. So if you don't like it, don't play in the tournament. That's what they do every year there so i mean i i would say i want to say when i was there i I, one thing that crossed my mind i really think the masters has passed the u.s open in prestige because you're there and you say it's the national championship it's this and this and everything but when i looked at the crowds on saturday and i and i just saw how it was sixty dollars you could buy tickets sixty dollars you could buy a ticket to get in i just felt like the it just did not have the prestige level that the Masters does, and the Masters I think right now is clearly the number one tournament. But and you can see it from ratings also on television. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't have the panache, uh, you know that uh, that the Masters does. Everybody I know was heading out to Shinnecock, you know, on Long Island this weekend to go, and, and me because you know the, you know Augusta is so exclusive. It, 
adds to that. Last year, though, I think Brooks Kepka won. It was at, uh, it might have been at Muirfield uh, last year, but he won with 16 under. So we're obviously seeing a huge difference. You know, in in just total scoring, Sean. What about you? I mean, we were watching it together. What's your take on golf played like this? Well, I just I, I talk about it and I've said I, you've made the course become the star. You've you've marginalized the talents of the best golfers in the world. Yeah, and they all lim- have to play it. I understand that. I, I get that. But I want to see Jordan Spieth. I want to see Roy. I want to see all these guys. And when you're making it very hard, and I'm talking about this, right? I enjoy this. I'm just giving the devil's advocate take to to Ira's point. Great golf, amazing. They're all in the same playing field, so suck it up. Put your big boy pants on. I get that. But as a casual fan, and, and a lot of golf fans, I mean, golf isn't the number one sport in the country. And I mean, there's there's a there's there's casual fans that they're going to tune into the Masters. They know all the holes on the Masters because guess what? It's the same course every single year. You see great scores. All the you know best players in the world usually make the cut. So you get to see Rory going into Sunday, and you get to see the big names. You know, a lot of this field. I mean, I mean, Brooks is on his what back to back U.S. Opens. I can almost guarantee you, ninety percent of the people that watch it even know who this guy was. No, they don't. Have no idea who he is. So where my point comes in, this is one of the prestigious, obviously it's one of the majors, but for us in the USA, this is one of the biggest tournaments that's out there, if not the biggest, like even said for these guys, I mean, this is the one they want to win, that yeah. and the Masters, and you're eliminating half the field because it's so hard. You have guys, like I said, um, you know, uh, Zach Johnson came out and basically just said, I mean, they've lost the course. They've absolutely lost the course. Going into the second half of each day, this is what he said. No, we're not on edge. I thought we could be on edge, but we've surpassed it. It's pretty much gone. Specifically the latter part of the day for us. It's pretty much shot. Which is unfortunate because, in my opinion, some of the best land, one of the best venues in all of golf, specifically in this country, it's as good as it gets. Shinnecock Hills is beautiful. Unfortunately, they've lost the golf course. You could see it in the dejection in some of these guys. And just as a casual fan, I don't want to see... Dustin Johnson missed a three-foot putt. I mean, there was one hole on the second day where Tiger, I think he had a six-foot putt, missed it. Then it turned to an eight-foot putt, missed that, <laughs> and then barely hit the three-foot putt. I mean, it was like, I'm watching Tiger Woods. This is not Tiger Woods. And and as a casual fan, I, it, it, I always talk about other sports. I want to see home runs if I'm a casual fan of baseball. I want to see the high scores and the deep throws in the NFL. I want to see LeBron James doing alley-oops and the high scores in basketball. That's what casual fans do. And and golf, for as and we already know i mean we've seen how many golf courses across the country closed down especially when all the tiger woods stuff was happening this is not the way to get casual fans back in 737 ira on sports 95.9 the true oldie channel mike and sean we're here world cup action is underway gotta tell you i'm a huge soccer fan huge world cup fan typically this is my time of year I want to talk to you guys about your biggest shocker, though. And, and, you know, Sean, let's start with you. What's your biggest shock now? We've been through almost the entire first round of the group stages. What's your biggest shock? Well, there's two for me, right? I I think Argentina uh, uh, getting a draw against Iceland. I mean, mean, we talk talk about it. And and we'll we'll talk about the Miss PK, but we're talking about Iceland. They have less than a million people. They have less than three quarters. 340,000 people. The less next, than, the next smallest country is three point four million. Is Uruguay, and they're playing against arguably the best player in the world, arguably the best player of his generation, and Messi. And Messi gets a peak kick to win it, and gets blocked. Not, not even sailed it over. No crossbar post. Actually, gets denied by the goaltender. Great save, by the way, uh, from the Icelandic uh, goaltender. But I think it's that. I think it's the draw right there. I would say Mexico over Germany, but if if you've been paying attention, you know that Mexico is definitely a sleeper in this. In the first game of group stage, uh, you always see kind of some upsets. You see stuff like this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to yesterday's game, and I'm going to say Neymar in – in the 93rd minute with a with a, a a free kick just outside the box and not taking the shot on net playing it over the line and dropping it in for you know one of his guys to kind of get a you know foot on a head on mm-hmm. it, it's just amazing to me that you know when you look at this right third best player in the world Messi Ronaldo 1 and 2 1A 1B and then there's Neymar i mean that's 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 the rankings of this for him to not put a shot on goal especially after Ronaldo was further out, took the shot, tied the game 3-3 against Spain, absolute hero, Messi missing a free kick, and the Neymar not doing it. Now, I'll get into that a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if that's 
that's a Neymar call. I don't know if, this, if that's his manager, uh, TT, making that call. All I'm saying is, how does Neymar not put that shot on net? And to me, I think that decision, whether it was Neymar's, whether it was the manager's, I think that's the most shocking thing so far. You're supposed to be Ronaldinho. You are the. Oh my, you are that's the what fa- I mean. You're the face of. Brazil. He's wearing the ten for Brazil for the first time ever. Before the game, he's he's having his interview. It means something. You're Pele. You're Ronaldinho. You know, you, this is who you Kaka. are. You're the, you're you're the Kaka. face of That's team. what I mean. Yeah. You you are supposed to be number 10. I mean, that number is synonymous throughout soccer. I mean, the best players on every single team usually wear number 10, 10 or 9. But wearing number 10 for Brazil is something different. And it's his first year doing it, and you don't take that shot? Come on. A little interesting to Come me. On. I'm a little upset that you didn't put Abby Wambach ahead of him, though. As far <laughs> I love Abby Wambach. As far as top, you know, top soccer players go, yeah, it's Ronaldo, Messi, <laughs> Abby Wambach, then Neymar. <laughs> Seven forty. Iron Sports talking about the I World Cup here on there. the True Oldies Channel. Ira, what about you? I mean, I know you're you, one of your shocks, Ira, is that America's not in it, and it's kind of deflating to me. What's your biggest shock so far? I, no, it is a shock that America's not into it because a lot of people who don't follow soccer a lot say, okay, the World Cup, where's America? who's America playing? Like, yeah, there's exactly. people out there that still don't know that America's not, US, the United States is not playing in this tournament. And they're like, well, why aren't they playing? What happened? Are they protesting? Is there something with Russia? <laughs> is this political? What's the reason? Is, is, are they banned? I mean, no one knows. And they didn't realize that there's a two-year qualifying process, and all America had to do was fit. This was a very easy qualification. This is like you have to be in the top four. Well, actually, three, but if you're in fourth, you get to then try another way to qualify. They could not even be in the top six out of uh, top four out of six teams. That's it. And the worst part is it wasn't like they were playing Germany and Brazil and all the top teams. Yeah. They were playing Honduras. Costa Rica, Trinidad and Tobago, Panama, that was, yeah, that all was these the countries who got in except over America with, with all our stadiums and our money, our infrastructure and everything that we have. It's amazing. I mean, it is, it is, it is like the, the NBA. Like, we could not get a team and we would lose. I can't even put another analogy to whatever. Because <laughs> it's impossible to think that America could not get into the World Cup. And next year, they, I mean, in four years, they've expanded from 32 to 48. So I guess America has no chance. I mean, of course, they'll make it in next year. But in, in four years, now, but to have the World Cup and not have the United States, which is, of course, the most eyeballs and the most money and, and the most people watching and most people going to Russia from any other country, uh, it's just it's an embarrassment that it didn't qualify. And they actually lost the, 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 the game was against Trinidad and Tobago yeah. when they, yeah. all they had to do was win and, and beat them, and they lost that game 2-1 when their, one of their own uh, players hit the ball in the goal. And they also lost to Honduras. They, won, they beat Honduras 6-0, and then they tied them later. They couldn't even win in that game. So, I mean, it was a total disaster, and I think people will keep um, – there will be a week into this, and two weeks in when someone's going to say, when does U.S. play? I haven't heard USA. What are they doing? How well they're doing? And I guarantee you that people do not realize – they won't know until it's over that the United States – you know, like, what are they playing? When are they in this? You know, it cost Jurgen Klensman his job, as it yeah. obviously should have. First time since 1986 – Back before soccer was even a thing in this country. When I was three years old, soccer was not a thing in this country. We, that's the last time we missed. We've been a soccer country yeah. going forward. It, it's an absolute disaster. No, and, and it's a shame because, you know, I, I, when, you, when you think of the players, right, you, 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 Landon Donovan, it, it will probably be, right, as of right now, is probably the best United States soccer male player, um, you know, yeah. that this country's produced. Well, we got a, a kid by the name of Christian. Polisnik, but Polisic, he is. Polisic, yeah. yeah, he's phenomenal. I mean, he's already playing overseas. I believe he's playing in uh, uh, the Bundesliga. All of these guys Germany. do play in the Bundesliga. He, yeah, I know, but but this kid is 19 years old and he's doing phenomenal things. So for him, for us to miss out on getting this this young kid. A chance when we lose to Mexico 2-1. We lose to Costa Rica 4-0. We tie Panama. We lose to Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, it was it was, it was was horrible. In that group stage of, of trying to get in, we went 1-3. I mean, we beat Honduras, what, what was 6-0. But, but even still, I mean, to lose the way that we did, to tie a team like Trinidad and Tobago, it, it, it was devastating as a soccer fan because I look forward to the World Cup. And I want my country represented. And when we have a, a, a young kid... Like this, uh, a young man who is playing overseas at a very high level, mm-hmm. who's playing for one of the premier teams.
teams in Germany who's getting great experience, you know, overseas, which, I mean, compared to the MLS, I mean, we, we put an MLS all-star team together and we get blown out by, by the JV <laughs> by squads, team, yeah. by the JV squads of, of, of other countries, um, premier leagues. So to have this kid and miss an opportunity at 19 years old to get one World Cup under his belt, Right, because the next time this thing rolls around, he's twenty three years old. Well, guess what? If he played in this one, by the time he's twenty three, he's going to be up there. I'm telling you. I mean, this kid is special. Without injury, he's going to be up there with the. I can't say the likes of Messi and Ronaldo and all that, but I mean, he will be a name. He could to be the be best remembered. American. Player. He will. No, he. Yeah, he will be the best American player ever. And to miss this opportunity in the way we did. To, to, to get rid of the coach, bring in Bruce Arena. I mean, it was a, it was it was a travesty, and I ju- you just saw it, you know, coming off the rail. So I just think it's a huge missed opportunity. I don't really. It definitely affects the viewership here, but but being out and watching this. I mean, Mike, you were I mean, you were out with me this weekend, and we went to a few places. Nobody. Everybody's can. staring at the TV screen. It doesn't matter. I mean, I watch Iran and Morocco. It said MAR. I didn't even know what. I thought I was like, who's Iran playing? March? I didn't I didn't know what country <laughs> it was, but I was just so zoned in. And uh, and the World Cup brings everybody out. Everybody becomes a fan. So I think it's been fantastic, but it definitely hurts, you know, not having uh, the Stars and Stripes in there. It, it, interesting. You know, you bring up Christian Pulichik, amazing player. Amazing. We have another kid named Mix Discarud from New Jersey, who yeah. is just another phenomenal player. When we were younger, back in the 80s, and even early 90s when MLS was being formed, these guys that were played for Team USA were not professional soccer players. It, it was guys off the street that played good in college. Now, every single player on yeah. Team USA plays in Europe. Yeah. They play in the EPL. They play in the Bundesliga. They play in, in uh, the Premier League. These guys have no excuse to not beat Costa Rica and Honduras of the world. It's Disgusting. Just, that's my biggest shocker, of course. Ira, though, you know, America, we're getting our own cup. Uh, 2026, it's been affirmed. How do you think this is going to change soccer in America? Um, I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be great. I think people want to see it. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that it was between, uh, I guess it's between Mexico and North, there was a joint North American bid between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. And I guess every round after 16, uh, from the quarterfinals on, will be in, America, in the United States. But it was between the United States, or the North America bid, and Morocco. And they said United, the, U, the North America bid had a slight advantage over Morocco in <laughs> infrastructure. And I'm like, infrastructure? America has like the best stadiums in the world, and, and there's planes that fly everywhere. What does Morocco have? But this is the same organization that gave the World Cup in four years to Gutter. Now, Gutter has a, is, a, is a country that I don't know a lot of people know about, but it's two million people. And it's in the middle of the Middle East, and West Palm Beach has 1.5 million people. And I don't know how Gutter is able, when they have to build stadiums and whatever, is going to host the World Cup when this is the world event. I, it just, it just, that's why they, but Russia and Gutter was all corruption. They were paid yeah. off to get the bids. And I, this is the first time, I guess, it was free and fair elections in terms of each country got to vote. And, in the, and the North America bid, it was pretty close in beating Morocco. It wasn't uh, the, the uh, executive director of U.S. soccer did an amazing job. I think he visited like 200 countries in order to secure their votes by telling them how great America is and those things. 200 but, uh, countries. And the whole, yeah. Yes. Wine and dine me um, around the but, world to choose. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, I think it. I look, I think for. I think. Look, in tw- we'll get to 2026. It would have been better if they were playing now, and then they could say, "Oh, in 10 yeah. years and eight years, look what's going to happen." Um, certainly, it's going to build, and in four years, people are going to talk about it. And it'll be like when women's soccer had uh, it was here, the women's soccer championship. Uh, it'll be great. It'll be exciting. The question for soccer is, when's it going to pass? Is it going to pass hockey? Is it going to ha- pass baseball? Like, is that going to ever happen? More kids play. Everybody I know has kids that play soccer, but it does not translate into people watching soccer. But the MLS is great. There's more teams, more stadiums being built. They're playing in soccer-friendly stadiums uh, that, that are more conducive to soccer, smaller scale, and they're building one in Miami. So it, all positive. It's only going one way. There's growth, but the question is where it goes, and is it, it's not going to be bigger than the NBA. It's no. not going to be bigger than football. Never. So. Yeah, and, and, and I, it, I, want, I don't want to say it's... it's it's time will tell, but bringing this in, I mean, you saw the boom in women's soccer when when we won it here um, in the Coliseum. Mia Hamm blew it up. Exactly. I mean, I mean, they were all over everything. I mean, that uh, Wheaties boxes, this Nike commercials, Gatorade, everything. Brandy Chastain. How many times we replayed the jersey coming off and everything. Um, but the one thing I will say is this: the only thing that could 
get it there. I mean, this will definitely help. I mean, there will be a boom in soccer once the World Cup comes here. But the one thing that that could help it is the fact of the head injuries in the NFL. The, the decreasing of American players playing in the major league in major leagues as that becomes more of you know the Latin America base you know um, it, it's like even hockey right you know hockey less U.S. born pra- players more overseas I think bringing this in and only like I said time will tell does it does it catch those other ones I don't know but as NFL continues to change the rules as they continue to modify the rules at the 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 younger age um you know with with all the rules and the head injuries and all this are parents more likely to keep their kids out of football and and more contact sports and and you know and move them over to soccer um that's the only thing i could kind of see happening i think it's great for the sport I, I we better be in it at that point i mean if 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 we host the world cup and we don't make it i mean they should just you know up and move you it get an automatic bid, exactly thank god yeah we should get an automatic <laughs> bid. Yeah, i mean it'd be, be honest but um i think that'd be the only way that you could catch the other major sports is continue to see Readings dip in the NFL, uh, you know, parents being more focused in on the CTE thing as it evolves. It is a real issue. We're seeing it with, with former players with the suicide. We're seeing it with former players that are just being locked up, thrown in jail. Hell, Kellen Winslow with the charges that just came out against him. Who knows if this guy has uh, CTE. Um, so so I think more and more as we get down the road, we start seeing that. The major sports, as they continue to shift towards the trends that they've been going, maybe soccer makes that move. I mean, MLS viewership is through the roof. Uh, it, but most of, you know, it's, it, it's been in its history. Hell, you, you know, you go to the West Coast, Mike, you've seen uh, the Portland teams, Home Seattle's teams, huge, yeah. The, Sa- yeah, the Sounders. I mean, they sell out almost every single game. So there are areas of this country that really, truly care about soccer. Ira, um, you know, before we wrap this up, we, you know, we're talking about America hosting it. Russia's the host right now. You think that there may be something behind the story here to Russia hosting this Olympics? I mean, this World Cup? Well, it's, it's, it's not nothing behind it. The, they, they bribed the... There was, a, there was an independent commission that was supposed to select the country that was coasted, and the independent commission was fired. And, they were set, and, and, the, and the head of uh, FIFA decided who was going to host... The one person decided Russia was going to host the World Cup. And the, the director of the Russian uh, Federation of Soccer, now he stepped down lately, was the one who was in charge of their doping operations, the reason why they got banned in the Olympics. And they weren't allowed to have any of They weren't even allowed to compete under the Russian flag. You would think that he would then he was somehow still because he's Putin's one of Putin's right hands man he was running he was running the soccer for the same thing so the same guy that was in charge of the entire systematic doping for for all the Olympic athletes is the same person who's in charge of picking the soccer and running the soccer federation so clearly yes it's uh, very fishy how they got that bit that uh, the uh, host to host the World Cup the only thing more corrupt than FIFA is world boxing <laughs> I, I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with Sepp Blatter what are you talking about it seems like a stand up <laughs> guy to me <laughs> 7.52, Iron Sports 95.9, <laughs> True Oldies Channel. We're way over time, guys. Let's speed this up in going into the NBA. LeBron James. This is obviously, the, it's the biggest story in sports. The season's over, and nobody's talking about the Warriors. Everyone's talking about LeBron James and the landing point. I'm going to give you guys a team, and I want you guys to tell me why it would be a good fit, if it won't be a good fit, and if you think it'll happen. Iron, we'll start with you. It's the team everybody's talking about. LeBron to the Lakers. What do you think? It's the best fit. It has to be the best fit. I think he wants to go to Los Angeles. I think he, I think he finds that with his whole empire that he has with movies and entertainment and businesses. It fits in what he wants. Um, I think he feels comfortable that Magic Johnson can, with Rob Palenka, will be able to put together a great team around him. Uh, I'll say this: as someone who goes to a lot of sporting events. The Lakers ticket um, two years ago when they had Brooke Lopez and Jordan Clarkson, it was a hotter ticket than Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan for the Clippers. Yeah. I think it'll be one of the most expensive tickets by far every game in sports history if LeBron goes to the Lakers. Um, the Lakers can do it. Not only that, the way Kawhi Leonard is now talked about, he wants to go to Los Angeles. The Lakers, too, have tremendous amounts of cap room. Um, they, they're good. Off the books comes Brooke Lopez at $22 million, Caldwell Pope, $18 million, Corey Brewer, 7.5, Channing Fry, 7.5, Isaiah Thomas, 6.6. I mean, they're taking $62 million off the books. 
They can also trade Lonzo Ball and get rid of the dang contract. Mm. They can really put together, and I think he wants, I don't think LeBron wants to play with young players. I think he'd like to play with Paul George, Quali Leonard, other, you know, that type of thing. I think, he, I think it fits. I think it's, it, it, the odds show the Lakers are the, the, the destination. But it's, you know, I, I still think people, no one has definitively said, look, we heard LeBron say he wants to go to the Lakers. There's a feeling that he's going to go to the Lakers. There's rumors all the time, and that's where people think. But the Heat were not the top prize. When this first started many years ago, the Heat were not, no one was, people were saying maybe the Heat's an op, a chance, but it was, it, was, it was in the back of the pack. It wasn't the front place that they thought LeBron was going to end up. It's, you know, you bring up a good point, too. I don't think he wants to play with young kids. Everyone, oh, go play in Philly. They're all young. I don't know if he wants that. Sean, Lakers for LeBron? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the cast space is there for them to get not just LeBron. It is to get Kawhi or Paul George. I do disagree in terms of the ball trade. I think you have to get rid of ball to get Kawhi. But you don't have to get rid of ball to get Paul George or even LeBron. I think with a player with the skill set that Ball has, who wants to be a facilitator more so than a score-first point guard, I think that would play well with a guy like Paul George and LeBron James. Um, you know, Brandon Ingram, I think, is the odd man out there. I think Ball could stay on that team. I think even there's a place for Julius Randle if they decide to, to keep him. Um, but I wouldn't say so much, you know, playing with the young guys. I mean, you've seen him come out, talk about Donovan Mitchell, uh, uh, Ben Simmons. But... Uh, it, this all comes down to Magic Johnson, and this is why the Lakers hired Magic Johnson for this summer, for this free agency, to go get two of these three players. Paul George, Kawhi, and LeBron. Go get two, Magic. He'll come. He didn't need to come take that job. A man owns more Starbucks and movie theaters than, you know, I, I own socks. I mean, this guy makes hundreds of millions of dollars. Four pairs of he socks, doesn't though. need this job. He came back because he loves the purple and gold. He wants to cement his legacy even more as the best all-time Laker of all time. If he could do it, one on the court, now, um, you know, up in the box. So um, it, it's, it's definitely a possibility. Ira, you... Well, one of the things, Mike, one of Go the ahead. points is that the Lakers – they can sign George and uh, LeBron can, well, if they opt out will be free agents. So they can sign LeBron to thirty-five million and George and not to have to trade million. anybody. <laughs> yeah, Kawhi is a, is a, is a, it only makes twenty-one and he has one more year left on his contract. So if they can get him transferred, uh, get him in a trade, uh, that would be where they could open it up. And uh, you know, then they have the super team. Then, then, then suddenly you have Houston with the super team. You have Lakers with the super team. You have Golden State with the super team, and uh, then you have Boston with the super team, sort of. So. So you're creating all these amazing super teams. Uh, that, and there's some, they have some good young talent. They'll have to fill them in with other people. I also think LeBron likes uh, Luke Walton. I think, he, I, think it's a, I think he's a coach that he's been impressed with. Luke Walton coached under Steve Kerr in Golden State. He has, of course, the famous father, uh, basketball player. So I think LeBron has a lot of respect for Luke Walton. I think the Lakers do make is a destination um, that he potentially, I think it by far is where he, he's probably going to go. There's so many teams you want to get to here on Ira on Sports 757, true oldies channel mike and sean here as well let's do that next week because the nba draft is going to be this thursday ira i kind of like this draft class i, I don't know why who do you think is going to be the best of the class and how do you think it'll rank uh you know to other draft classes in recent memory i don't it's a weird draft class five of the six top players are more forward centers and the league is all guards so yeah. the point is, is like, you're lo- like, I'm looking for this guard that's going to be Donovan Mitchell, and I don't know who it's going to be, because I watched Donovan Mitchell play for Louisville two years ago. I watched him play 20 games. If you told me that he, that Donovan Mitchell was going to be the same Donovan Mitchell yeah, in the I NBA, I would be, you're crazy. You're crazy. Don't be lucky to make the team. <laughs> crazy. <And then> I, <laughs> I watched every game of Jason Tatum. I, I, I watched every single one of his games. I liked him. I thought he was a good player, yeah. but he had a very average shot. Is that the Jason Tatum that was just scoring against the Cavaliers at will, who was taking over games? Dunking on LeBron James? And look, I'm not the only one. I, I, <laughs> Donald Mitchell wasn't drafted first. I mean, so that's, and Jason Tatum wasn't drafted first either. So the point is, is that they, it, it's, a, it's a weird draft check because I'm looking at the guards. I mean, everyone left Aiton from the Suns. They think he's going to be this phenomenal player. But, again, he's a big, tall forward. If these guys aren't going to shoot from the outside, that's a problem. I think someone was a stat I saw on TV that there were only in the conference finals that only people seven foot and above had, like, five <laughs> points in the entire conference finals. <laughs> to anybody. Now even Durant probably is seven feet. But, generally, the centers aren't playing. If you ask all the top teams, there's no centers. Where you have Bamba from Texas, 
Bagley from Duke, Aiton from Arizona. These are big guys, and, yeah. and, and Jackson from Michigan State. These are the, and Wendell Carter from Duke. If you go down yeah. the list, they're all guards. And it seems like, well, who's the guard? Is it Sexton from Alabama that's going to play well? Is it Trey Young, who's an undersized uh, Steph Curry lookalike, like from Oklahoma? It's it's a weird draft, I think. Look, I'm dying to, you know, I think when the draft, it's not one of these drafts when it's over, it's like, oh, we won the draft. I think no one's going to know until the middle of next year when they're playing whether they won or lost the draft. Sean, what are you thinking here? I mean, I, I think you're all about our boy Luca. No, it's, I mean, Luca's the best player in this draft. I think that'll be proven. Um, we talked about, he, you look at the mock drafts, he's slipping a little bit. Um, I, I think you pair him on the Suns. I think you take him number one. I could see where, you know, where the athletic bigs, Aitons, the Bagleys, uh, the Jacksons, even Wendell Carter, you know, you got these big guys that can, you know, uh, you know, play with their back to the basket, athletic, play defense, but can also create their own shot, can hit that mid-range. Well, guess what? Go look at the best team on the planet right now. They don't have any of those guys. There's no athletic bigs. I mean, yeah, you could talk about Bell, but I think he's more of a product of his surroundings in Golden State. You know, I think Luka's the man. I mean, for this kid to be 19 years old, the Sylvanian Slayer, I mean, unbelievable <laughs> this kid is. His court vision is Ben Simmons. He can shoot. He can drive. He makes everybody on the court better. I'm telling you right now, this kid in the next two to three years will be considered one of the best players in the league. He will go down in history. And this is, I know this is crazy. Right? You heard all the, the, the Rubio jazz when Nowitzki first came in. That's took I think the issue, years. Sean, that there's I not, understand. people don't trust I, foreign I, players. Of course, and they don't. I'm telling you, he will go down as the best foreign player ever. I mean, that's better than Dirk. Good he is. Better than Dirk. Better than Dirk. I'm just saying that right now. I mean, he is on. Better than Frederick Weiss? B- oh, my God. Of course. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, I mean, Sean, he's Sean, that good. Sean, this is a, Sean, the point is, I, and I'm going to, I like what you're, I like your reasoning a lot. Because if you look at the other players, they seem to have up and down years. I mean, Bagley even had up and down years. Yeah. Sonic was playing in a professional league and dominated. He dominated. dominated in Europe. He's 19 years old. I think the team that he should go to, that's the best fit, would be the Grizzlies. They pick fourth. They yeah. have Marc Gasol, a, a very, one of the top centers in the league. They have Mike Conley Jr., one of the top point guards in the league. This is a team that was a playoff contender year after year, had a bad year last year because everybody was hurt. Yeah. But I think Donick, if he, Donick, if he goes into that, to that team, the pressure not to be the star. Exactly. I think he can average 15 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. He can play that that third wheel role on that team. I think that's the per- I think if they yeah. I, I and also they already have a foreign player in Gasol. I think he would fit in well who's one of the who's the star of the team that I think would fit in well. And the thing I like that, him going to the Grizzlies. Yeah, of course. And the thing is there and I've seen a lot of projections, small market, small media. That's what makes that such a good fit because as a foreign-born player coming over with all the hype, he can't be surrounded in L.A. or New York or big East Coast or West Coast market. Put him in the middle of the country, small market, you know, and, and let him do his thing. And I'm telling you, I mean, this kid's phenomenal. Let's talk about you know the opposite end of the spectrum. Ira, you hit it on the head. I think there's six, maybe seven guys that that maybe could be difference makers. But we always find somebody. You find the Kawhi Leonard picked 15th. You find the Steph Curry picked 8th. Ira, who's a sleeper in this draft that you'd have your eye on? I, you know, I looked at like 20 mock drafts. Rare, besides Sixers getting Mikael Bridges from Villanova, who oh I thought God. that was, you know, because he, that was good. And I saw Aiton going to the Suns. Every mock draft seemed to have a different person going to a different team. It's not like the NFL where you get it right. Yeah. Um, I, the one player in this draft that's crazy, that could go anywhere, is Michael Porter. Yes. From, uh, Missouri. I mean, some people had, he was supposed to be the number one player in the draft. Now his back is hurt. He has injuries. No one knows. The question is, when you watch the draft, look where Michael Porter goes, how fast someone will take him, pick him up, because he might not even play next year. And now they saw where Embiid didn't even play his first year. Now look how good he's playing. But probably Michael Porter's going to sit out a year, and the question is where he's going to go. Um, I said last time on the show, I like Venzio from Villanova. I think he's great. I think Mm -hmm. his shooters, I'm looking at shooters. He'll fall in the draft. Uh, Here's a surprise pick. Aaron Holiday of UCLA as a point guard. I see a lot of some people have him going to the Bucks. I think if uh, you know how much I like the Bucks, I think they're a great upcoming team. I think if they, I think if they got rid of Bledsoe, maybe package him in a trade, and Holiday maybe as a backup point guard this year, that might be a, a selection. But uh, you know, it's it's. I was looking through. It's tough. This is a really tough draft because I, I love this time of year because I love college basketball. So I watch all these players play, and then you're always when you're watching them trying to translate. Will they be great pros? As again, Donovan Mitchell. I I never. I saw him play. I saw him play in person four or five times his senior, his 
sophomore year, and I never thought that he'd be this player. Uh, you know, it's funny. I had to immediately Google. You said UCLA oh. and Holiday. I'm immediately thinking, related to Drew Holiday? Yeah, he is. Yeah, what yeah. do you got, Johnny? No, I, I think Michael Porter Jr. right now is the wild card. If if he comes out of high school and doesn't play at Missouri, he's the number one pick. Um, if he even plays this year, he's the number one pick. I This reminds me a lot of Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons didn't play a lot of LSU because he was hurt. Oh, his toughness, this and that. He's injury prone. No, you know what? I know I'm going in the top ten in the NBA draft, if not top five. I'm that special. Now, granted, there's a lot of guys coming in. You got Luka, you got Aiden, you got Bagley. You know, So he's going to fall in that five to ten range. I will say this. I think one of the biggest X factors from that 5-10 to 10 rage, and this will be depending. I don't think LeBron's going to make his decision before the draft. We obviously know that's not I happening, right? So either, yeah. If they take a guy like Michael Porter Jr., most likely gone, right? That's a guy like an Andrew Wiggins. Hey, he's got to learn too much. He's got to get healthy. You know, do I take this guy? Nah, I don't want to, you know, might not play. Trey Young, nah, I'm not sticking around for Trey Young. Colin Sexton, point guard from Alabama. Kids IQ Basketball IQ is off the charts. He's a guy that could go to that Cavs team right now that LeBron, like, I want to play with that kid. I want to play with him. Tenacious on defense. Smart with the basketball. Doesn't make turnovers. Isn't a shoot-first point guard. Makes the right basketball play, and that's what LeBron needs. And that's what, you know, you always see with uh, Golden State, right? Doesn't matter who beats you. As long as they beat you, they always make the right basketball play. That kid right there, he's going in the 5-10 to 10 range. I'm telling you, that kid's going to be special. This is Iron Sports way over as always 805 True Oldies Channel Mike and Sean here as well. Um, there's so much that we're going to cover next week on Iron Sports. We'll go, go run back through all those teams. There's a lot of baseball that we need to get into because Mike Trout might just be the best player ever. We'll talk about that next week. Before we wrap it up though, Ira, you're a big boxing guy. Some big fights on on the deck. Alvarez Golovkin, Wilder Joshua. What are you thinking here? Oh, I'm excited about it, and we have some opportunities to get some. We're going to get some. Uh, you'd be surprised how many great young boxers are in the West Palm Beach area that are uh, world-ranked. And uh, I think we're in the next couple of weeks we're going to have one of them in the studio. Um, so it'll be interesting to talk to him. And, and uh, it's a, West, the South Florida area is definitely getting this buzz back in terms of uh, the boxers at all different weight classes. But I like the Alvarez-Golakin fight in September, the Wilder-Joshua fight, which is being set, and then and the welterweight division, Crawford and Spence. So I do think that there will be some good fights coming up. I wish they were this summer. I, 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 just, I don't like the fact that they moved these. The, 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 the Alvarez-Golakin fight is the middle of football season when there's college football on Saturday night there's pro football on Sunday give it to me in August there's nothing else going on give me that give me it then that's why I thought Mayweather McGregor was such a great selection because it was during the uh, it was it was during late August and it wasn't competing with anything so Ira you know you love um, things like that the nice fight in the middle of August when nothing's going on on a Saturday night. But you also love tennis, and Wimbledon is the masters of tennis, and this might be one of the best we've ever seen on the men's side. Well, remember, Roger Federer skipped the clay court season. He won the Australian Open. Um, he's won, they've won the last six majors between him and, and Nadal. Uh, Nadal won the French dominating fashion. Uh, they're both playing Wimbledon. Nobody skips Wimbledon. You've got Djokovic, who's now playing better. He's back. Andy Murray's playing in this. This is when everybody comes back. This is, this is the golden age of tennis. You're, these guys aren't going to be around much longer. And you're going to be watching players that you don't know. Um, this, is, this, is, this is just to watch it. It's going to be tremendous. This is the Wimbledon. This might go down as one of the greatest Wimbledons of all time. People talk about this forever because they're finally these great players are still playing at the top of their game and to see who wins it. And, and, and Federer's a heavy favorite, but uh, Nadal certainly has a chance. This is going to be very – this and then the U.S. Open at the end of in August will be very exciting. But I'm, I'm pumped for Wimbledon. So uh, something very strange happened in sports today, almost as strange as Dwayne Casey winning Coach of the Year and then being fired uh, by the Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm. Barry Trotz, former Nashville Predators uh, head coach, with I have the utmost respect for, he went to Washington four years later, wins a Stanley Cup with the Capitals, resigns. Uh, just about an hour. Ira broke the news to me through text, and I'm saying, who? The, there's no way that Barry Trotz just resigned. He did, and, and you know, looking at it more now, he was due about $2 million a year. Mike Babcock of the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs gets $6 million a year. So now he's a Stanley Cup winning coach. He wants out because he knows he's going to explore other opportunities, which is my question. What's the landing spot? Sean, I got one. Where do you think we see Barry Trotz? 
Well, you know, honestly, at this point, I mean, I don't think there's too many attractive openings. You know, none if, of them if, are attractive, it, but he's going to get paid triple. Of course, you know, I mean, you know, the Hurricanes not like that's a good job, but I mean, that, that was open. That's filled by Rod Brindamore. Uh, the Stars were open. That was filled. Calgary was open. That's filled. Um, you know, Rangers were open. That would have been appealing only because of the you know the mainstream there and the and he the, fits and their team. Too. He does. He fits their team. And how great would it be to go back to like, especially over the past decade, I would say, especially over Ovechkin's time, who's their biggest rival outside of Pittsburgh would be the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I. I think we've bounced them more uh, out of the playoffs than the, uh, the Penguins have. Um, so, so the Islanders are the only spot I think right now that are open. And what better way to keep your best player, one of the best players in the league, and John Tavares, who's about to hit free agency, uh, better than going out and hiring the, the Stanley Cup uh, winning coach. But I think he takes maybe a year off, sees what's out there. Think about this too, right? Think about now knowing a caliber coach like him is out there. Now, now, coaches yeah, that maybe to point. start the season that are on the hot seat, hey, man, you have a slow start. I'm pulling the trigger. I'm going after him. I'm yeah, throwing your crazy money. A so seat if, now, I'm, yeah. if I'm him, I'm not sitting there saying, hey, I'm going to take the Islanders' job. You know, like, I'm not, I don't think that's a job I want. But for guys, for teams that are maybe the contenders who have, who have not performed uh, up to the billing, let's say a San Jose Shark, let's say, let's say the Los Angeles yeah, the Kings, Kings yeah. teams that have been there. Edmonton. 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 Tell me. You wouldn't want to take the Edmonton job. Who would? I mean, yeah. exactly. So, th- so that's my point. I don't think he signs anywhere. I think he waits to the start of the next year and sees how it plays out. And a team that has really high expectations because they have the players starts out slow. You know, I always say, hire, hire slow, fire fast. All right, and and I think that's kind of the approach that he's going to take uh, heading into this offseason. Ira, before we wrap it up, you're in the Hamptons now. You're exhausted from walking three rounds at the U.S. Open. Where are you headed this week? Nowhere. Unless unless I go to uh, I, unless I go to a baseball game. This is a slow. This is a slow time. Uh, one year I'll go to Wimbledon, but not this year. But uh, no, this is uh, after after seeing uh, the two game sevens, game six, two game sevens, and then three uh, Belmont, and then three days of the U.S. Open. Uh, I'll take I'm taking this week off. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Poor Ira's racked up more frequent flyer miles this past month than anybody has all year. Ira, thank you so much for popping by. We hope that you recover from uh, your walks around the Hamptons. We are out of time, though. It's Iron Sports. We'll catch you next Monday night here on the True Oldies Channel.